Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. You'll hear from the experts who know how to digitize and renew business models for better results in manufacturing businesses. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you know the answer. This is where the best run. So stick around with us. Interesting topic today. Let me read you a quote on some research I did. Website is ibaset.com. I think that's ibaset, but you can pronounce it any way you want. Here's the buzz. The digital thread, keyword for our episode today. Digital thread refers to the communication framework that allows a connected data flow and integrated view of an asset's data throughout its life cycle across traditionally siloed functional perspectives. Now think about this. It's data, it's going from silo to silo, and it's all connecting in one place. The digital thread concept raises the bar for delivering, and we all know what this is, the right information to the right place at the right time. Isn't that the point of how we want our information to be today? And it was spearheaded by the military aircraft industry originally. Now it's converging with digital manufacturing and cyber physical system goals of topic of this show, Industry 4.0 and Smart Manufacturing. So let me give you a little more. In this digital age, we all know this, information is the key to innovation and innovation is one of the keys to how companies, businesses, industries are going to survive today. Creating a digital thread across a product's life cycle captures real-time, accurate information from so many sources. We have the customer, we have the purchasing team, we have the maintenance team, we have the engineering team. The data can be used to identify things like you would like a de design improvement. Well, that will help you get there and help you create new features and even new innovations. And I think that's redundant, new innovations, because an innovation is supposed to be new. And one of my panelists is smiling. Yes, it could be. We have three experts on the panel today. I am privileged to be on Zoom, and I'm watching them think, which is wonderful. And you can only hear them think, but we'll try to convey all of the wonderful passion and emotion behind this topic. We have CIM Data's Stan. Presbolinski, I will spell it for you later, Siemens Joe Bowman and SAP's Keith Zobot. We're going to ask them for their insights on intelligent products and assets, creating a digital thread from design to decommission. That's end of life, in case you're wondering. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome. We're so happy to be here. It's early here on the East Coast and even earlier on the West Coast. So one of our panelists is sitting in the dark, but he said the sun will come up later today. So let's go around the panel and have my wonderful experts introduce themselves briefly. I'm going to start with Stan Presbolinski. Let me spell your last name, Stan. In case anybody wants to find you, they'll never guess. It's P-R-Z-Y-B-Y-L-I-N-S-K-I. Everybody took notes. And Stan, tell us a little bit about what you do, what your company does, and also what's your passion for this topic? What does digital thread mean to you? Welcome, Stan. Hi, Bonnie, and thanks, everyone. Uh, as Bonnie said, my name is Stan Presbolinski. I'm Vice President of SimData. We're a global strategic management and market research firm that focuses on product lifecycle management and the digital transformation that it enables. Uh, my main responsibilities at my job are around our quantitative market research on global spending on PLM software and services. And I also do other work with industrial clients and software and services companies as time allows. Um, I've been in PLM for about 20 years, which at my company makes me a, a fairly new person. We have a lot of senior people that came to some data from, from other jobs. Um, and prior to getting into PLM, I spent 20 years in aerospace and defense, mainly around software 
and research and development. So my passion around this topic is it really, it's kind of funny because for me, it's looking at Industry 4.0 is sort of the culmination of my career, right? Because my career started when we were in Industry 3.0. And I've been involved in digital technology in a variety of ways in the intervening time. But the other thing is part of my academic background is studying organizations and the way that uh, they interact. And the thing that I love about this topic is that it's inherently cross-disciplinary, that you have to have people that talk different languages, do different things, be able to effectively work together and communicate their needs and wants. And as you said, the digital thread is one of the things that ties all of those things together. So it is really, uh, for me, sort of the capstone and uh, fits into many other things that I've done in my career. Thank you, Stan. Very happy to have you here. And it sounds like digital thread is something that was a long time coming, and thank goodness it's here, because we talk about breaking down silos in organizations, just how people talk to each other and share information inside a company, and now it's related to data and assets. Thank you, Stan. Good overview. Welcome. And now let's go to Joe Bowman. Anybody wants to spell his last name? It's B-O-H-M-A-N. We've got a silent H in there. Joe Bowman, you're up. Please introduce yourself. And what's your passion for the topic, Joe? Hey, uh, Bonnie, good morning. Hey, this is Joe Bowman. I'm a senior vice president responsible for a team center at uh, Siemens. And uh, maybe to talk a little bit about uh, my passion, I'll just go through a little bit about my history. Mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, I started uh, as math geek. Uh, went to Princeton as a math geek. Uh, graduated from Princeton. Uh, that took me to General Electric and uh, working on the design of aircraft engines and uh, worked on the shape of turbine blades. One of the fascinating things about that is they actually run hotter than their melting point, and you have to do some really incredible geometry to make that happen. And it was really fascinating, but as I got into that, uh, what really interested me and I found really uh, fascinating was the software to design these shapes. And so I wanted to get into that business, and that brought me to Siemens. I've been with Siemens now for about 25 years. Um, I got involved in in the CAD side of things, of, of designing those shapes, But what was really interesting to me as I got into that and you start looking at something like a jet engine or a car or anything like that, um, there's a lot of different parts that have to come together and there's a lot of people that have to work together to to make a product like that. And then that's where you really start uh, discovering about digital thread. And so as I I got involved in, in how products are designed and how products are manufactured, it's exactly what you said in your opening quote. You know, I started to discover that you have a lot of different people working in silos. And, and how can you make people in those different silos work together? And really that's a lot of what we're focused on is, you know, how can we get people in different disciplines, different domains, different parts of a digital enterprise, how can we get them uh, to work together? And that's really my passion. Thank you, Joe. Question for you. Do you think digital thread is an evolutionary or revolutionary concept? I know it's been around for a while, but for a company to embrace this and start to use it, is this something that's upsetting the status quo? Oh, I'm in this silo. I'm in that side. My data can't talk to your data. Or is this something that has been evolving and was a vision of people a while ago, especially in your industry? Just a a quick thought. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's something that people have been talking about uh, for a long time. But I think that what really has happened um, it, that's really making it more important and becoming you know, revolutionary today is um, the speed that uh, everyone has to work in in today's uh, environment and the ability. You know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, it was okay um, to have uh, engineering operations, um, maybe 
uh, mechanical electrical software all working in silos and going at kind of their own pace. But in today's world, if you work that way, you're going to lose. And, and so really the imperative is that you have to work together. And digital threat is really about breaking that down so people can really get that speed that they need. And so I think it's becoming revolutionary uh, just because of time to market. Thank you. Very interesting perspective. And now we're going to introduce Keith Zobot. Keith, is it still dark there in California? <laughs> That's a really good question. No, actually, the sun <laughs> is starting to hit the the sun is starting to hit the Sierra Nevadas. So things are looking up, Bonnie. Thanks for asking. Well, would you please do us the honor of introducing yourself? And Keith spells his last name Z O B O T T. I want everybody to be able to find all of you on social media if they want to know more and want to follow you. So, Keith, please. You're up. Introduce yourself and you know the drill. Tell us what this topic means to you, Keith. Absolutely. So, hi, everybody. Uh, Keith Zobat, as Bonnie said, I work for SAP, the vice president of our PLM portfolio. Uh, We formally call that internal to SAP, our digital products and projects portfolio. Uh, Prior to joining uh, SAP, I worked at GE as well, uh, similar to Joe. And as I, as I learn more about our panelists, I, I, I'm re- realizing our paths have crossed in so many ways in our careers. I think we've been around for a while. Um, so when I was at GE, I was responsible for deploying product development technologies, including PLM uh, for the oil and gas business, um, and uh, was a customer of uh, both uh, SAP and uh, and Siemens at the time. So got to learn about a lot of different technologies and a lot of different points of view on the types of technologies companies bring to the table to help achieve the goals that companies are after. Um, Prior to uh, being at uh, GE, I was at a company called Honeywell, another industrial conglomerate, uh, where I uh, was responsible for, at a corporate level, um, deploying PLM uh, capabilities uh, globally. Uh, in all of the industries and lines of business that Honeywell serves today, both process and discrete. Um, And then uh, prior to that, spent a long time uh, in product development, uh, managing programs, uh, doing large simulations, uh, turbine blades, uh, as as you indicated, Joe, did a lot of work with turbine blades. In fact, that leads to uh, one of my passions, uh, in fact. And, you know, it was tinkering around with an early parametric CAD system that made me realize, you know, there could be something to this. <laughs> and I don't know, even want to think about that's probably close to 30 years ago. So um, I've, uh, I've been in the industry for over 30 years um, at those, at those companies now with SAP and, and our solution management organization. And so that passion, when I was learning about these, these parametric CAD models um, really showed me, Hey, you know, there's some opportunities to really dramatically take out some cycle time um, and how work gets done. And um, that led me to realize that, you know, a key part of this all comes down to the people. And, you know, so so many of us in our technology worlds get lost in the technology because we think it's cool. But it's really about the people in the organizations that make a difference. If they don't adopt the technology, if they don't feel like this is helping them do their day in, day out jobs, they're not really going to be all that interested. So I'm a I'm passionate about this because I want to help the people in the in these companies that are struggling with these complex technologies and apply them in their worlds to make their jobs and lives easier. And that's yeah, that's me, Bonnie. 
in a nutshell. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. I, I appreciate that. We often talk, we do get into the technology, into the aspects of technology on these Game Changer shows, but I try to bring it back to people. I'm so glad you did. So when I was talking about silos in the beginning, siloed data from siloed products and assets, I think I also mentioned siloed people, and we see that in so many organizations. But what you're talking about is change management. It yes. has to come from a leadership perspective. People need to say, ah, that's a good idea. Let's adopt it. Let's adapt to it. Let's have everybody on board. And it really, whether it comes from grassroots and filters up, hopefully quickly, or it starts at the top and filters down, you need to get people on board. And I'm, I'm glad you brought out yeah. that. That uh, and I often have to mention Keith. You mentioned Honeywell. I my first job as a a COBOL programmer was on a Xerox <laughs> Cygnus six CP five, and I just checked the data. Xerox and Honeywell made a deal yes. in nineteen seventy five, which slightly predated when I'm giving away too much. <laughs> My key punch days of glory. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I yeah. love the, the memory. Keith, you were going to say something. Go ahead. I, I was. And, you know, and not to be a self-promoter of your show, but, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the topic of the digital thread. And if the, in, in my world, if there isn't a game changer, that's a game changer. And, and uh, so that's why I'm thrilled we've got Stan here and Joe here to talk about that, because honestly, all three of us are ambassadors in our own, in our own domains of this topic. And I'm thrilled that we're collaborating on this topic uh, to share it with you. Thank you. And I'm thrilled that you're all here. And PLM is product lifecycle management in case anybody just tuned in. If you just tuned in, by the way, this is, this show has a very, very long title. It is Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise. Yes. And this is episode number nine. We're here in, oh my goodness, it's almost the end of July. Has the year gone fast enough? I'll just leave that on the table. Nobody answer. Can the year go any slower? Please make it go faster and make everything better. Our topic today is intelligent products and assets creating a digital thread. Keyword, that's the buzz for today. From design to decommission, and I have to do a shout out to Diane Pickett. Everybody give an applause for Diane Pickett, who worked so hard behind the scenes putting this all together, and Richard Howells, who sponsors this series at SAP. So let's go on. It's the time of the show where my panelists have sent me a quote, each of them a quote from book, a movie, a person, famous, not so famous, old, young, new, alive, not so alive. And uh, the quote has nothing to do with the topic on the surface. And they're going to tell us how it does in their own words. So Stan Presbolinski, see, I have your name absolutely masterful now, Stan. I worked so hard. It's been an earworm for all weeks since I met you. I have it. Uh, Stan has sent us a quote from Heraclitus, Heraclitus of Ephesus, Ooh, 535 to 475 BC. There are all kinds of different dates about when he died. Some people think he was alive till 501 BC. I don't know. The son of Bloson was a pre-Socratic Ionian Greek philosopher, and he was uh, lived in what was now modern-day Turkey and then part of the Persian Empire. Interesting. Due to the, bear with me, guys, due to the oracular and paradoxical nature of his philosophy and his fondness for wordplay, he was called the obscure, even in antiquity. He wrote one book on nature, but the obscurity is made worse because it's only in fragments. His cryptic utterances have been the subject of numerous interpretations. He was considered a misanthrope given to sad face, depression. He was also called the weeping philosopher in contrast to Democritus, the laughing philosopher. Here's Bonnie, would you get to the quote already? Stan is saying, come on already. We don't need to know that more about the guy. He's not here. The quote is, the only constant in life is change. <laughs> Stan, talk to me. How'd you pick this one? Um, well, uh, since a job I had at Carnegie Mellon in the late 80s, where we were looking at 
how to help technologies, particularly software technologies, develop and mature and diffuse faster, we looked at uh, different aspects of how that can possibly happen. And one of the things that actually drew me to some data was the fact that one of the strains of research that we looked at is some work that was done in Scandinavia back in the early 80s on socio-technical systems, where they talked about it's people, process, and technology, mm -hmm. right? And it's usually not the technology that keeps things from moving along. It's the ability of the people to change and the ability of the organization to change the processes that they, that they use to do their work. So, um, again, that's one of the things that drew me to PLM as well because it is dynamic, right? All different types of technologies get applied, new processes, new materials. So it's, uh, as I often say, uh, never boring. So that's part of the reason I picked that quote. And I was actually surprised because I've looked up that quote multiple times before and I've found other sources for a similar quote. So when I, when I did the search based on your question, um, I was surprised to find Heraclitus and I'm glad you, you went and got all that detail on him because I, I did not. My, my pleasure. A quick question for you, Stan. When sure. all of this data is being collected, whose job is it to look at it? Where does it go? We talk about breaking down the silos. You've got the customer data and the design team data and team data and the purchasing data and the engineering data and the main maintenance data and the manufacturing right. data. Did they make it right? Did they make it wrong? What do the customers sure. say? Where does this data live? Just a, a quick answer from you. We can go around the table, but where sure. does this data live? Is it sitting in a little, oh, here's a capsule for product number 9,272.35ABW and it's Bob's job on Tuesday to go look at this data and say, oh my goodness, the customers are very happy with it, but the engineering team thinks it really needs some work. Where does it live, Stan? Well, that's part of the issue that you got into with your digital thread definition is that it can live just about anywhere depending on your perspective. Uh, I, I, I learned an acronym when I worked in defense, uh, TLA, which is a three-letter acronym. Um, so there's so many three-letter acronym systems out there that are collecting data that can contribute to the digital thread. And that's one of the issues that you have to deal with is that they're very disparate systems. The data is in different formats, different sizes, at different times in the life cycle. You know, and that's, to me, we're not necessarily supposed to talk about product, but that's one of the exciting things to me about the link up between SAP and Siemens mm -hmm. is between the two of them, they have the ability to gather that data. You know, I've been doing some work with a private equity firm that's looking to invest here, and I got this idea for a picture where I put the life cycle in the middle, and I sort of have above-the-line applications and below-the-line applications because some players in the space deal in the business aspects of the life cycle. So they're gathering all that business information. That's where a lot of SAP's information lives. And then below the line is all of the engineering work and process and detailed technical information. And the digital thread is all of that. And it's very different systems, very different players, decision makers, that's another big issue in this space. Who decided to buy that system? Who supports that system? They can be very different. And again, having a link up between two of the leaders in, in the space is gonna help rationalize a lot of that for their joint customers. 
Thank you very much. Interesting answer. Let's go to Joe Bowman. I've got your quote up here. It's so appropriate, Joe, for this part of our discussion, because this word keeps coming up. It's a quote from Steve Jobs. In case there's anybody in the world who doesn't know who he is, I'll just give you the basics, the top line. He lived from February 24th, 1955 to October 5th, 2011, the chairman, CEO, and co-founder of Apple. The chairman and major majority shareholder of Pixar, member of the Walt Disney Company's board of directors after its acquisition of Pixar, founder, chairman, and CEO of Next NE, capital XT. He's widely recognized as a pioneer of the personal computer revolution of the 70s and 80s, along with Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. Here's the quote. Design is not just what it looks and feels like. Design is how it works. Beautiful quote. Joe, how'd you pick this one? Yeah, I was. Uh, first of all, I just love Steve Jobs, and so when you asked for a quote, uh, I immediately thought of uh, of Steve Jobs. But I thought, you know, when we're talking about um, digital thread, you know, I think that that's really uh, an, an incredible quote for it. And let me just start with, you know, I think uh, you know a lot of people are familiar with um, the iPhone, and there's this this sense of you know it, it it just works. But you know, maybe to kind of think about digital thread and an experience that we all have every day. I, I think we've all gone through this experience on our phone uh, where we get a message and, and, and there's a photo in there and we want to save the photo. Now, if you go back before Steve Jobs and, and looked at this, you would have gone and you would have put that, you know, file into a, uh, that photo into a file system and then you would have gone into a photo app and then the photo app would have gone into the file system and you would have had to do a lot of work to connect the dots between your messenger and your photos. But Steve Jobs took a look at that and said, wait a minute, this could be simpler. And if you think about it, all if we talked earlier about silos and, you know, if, 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 if Steve Jobs didn't design the phone that way, all of those little apps on your phone would be little silos, little data silos. And then connecting the dots between those silos would be very difficult. But they said, let's build a digital thread on my phone across all of the different data across all of my apps. And, you know, and, and so basically he designed that phone to work. And, you know, so when I thought about that quote and I think about what we're doing with uh, digital thread and da data silos, you know, um, if, if, if you don't design these sets of data to work together, they're not going to work together. You're going to be stuck in that experience where you go and you have to take data from system A and you're going to have to put it into some neutral format. And then some, somebody in IT is going to have to do some work to make that data flow into system B. And just to give an example, if you're, if you're uh, thinking about as an enterprise and you're doing a new product, you have some people in business planning and they're generating some data. You have some people in engineering and they're generating some data. You have some people that are doing supply chain management and they're generating some data. You have some people in operations, they're generating some data. And you have all these little data silos. Think about those little apps on your phone. Uh, same sort of thing. And I think that really when we talk about digital threat, our hot topic for today, it's really about connecting the dots between all of those data. And then, you know, I really feel like Steve Jobs and what he did to make that all work together, it looks great, it feels great, but the reason that it feels great is it's been designed to work together. And I think when you think about, you know, enterprise data, you have to think about, can you get a system where everything is designed to work together? And that's really what the digital threat is about for us. Thank you very much. Good explanation. And I'm so glad, uh, Joe, that you related it to 
really relatable to things like an iPhone. And yes, I can get a text message from somebody with an image in it. I can drag that into somebody else's text message and share it with a whole bunch of people within seconds. I can drag it to my desktop. I can put it into an email. I can save it. I can make it into a movie and add music to it. And everything is, there's a connectivity there. There's an ease a convenience and accommodation of who, what we want to do in our lives with how he designed it. You're right. And I think Steve Jobs said he's going to give us what we need before we knew we even needed it. And, and a, a historical note, Steve Jobs passed away on October 5th, 2011. That was the day I started the very first Game Changers radio show. So if I was on a trivia show or if I ever got on Jeopardy, that what was October 5th, 2011? <laughs> The day of my first radio show and Steve Jobs passed away. So I, I know that date in stone. And thank you so much. Wonderful explanation. And that's a beautiful quote. So perfect for our show. Thank you, Joe. Keith is waiting patiently. I said that about a third panelist once, Keith. And they, when I got to them, they said, how do you know I'm patient? I'm sitting on the edge of my chair. What are you talking about? I'm watching the sun come up. I can't, I know. I, I can't, it can't we're, be any better than this. We're going to wait for the light over your head on the, the fan in the ceiling to be turned off when you get enough daylight there. There so we Keith go. Us an interesting quote that is popularly, I said, popularly attributed to Einstein. I'm not even going to say misattributed, but I found another source, and this will be interesting to everybody, and then I'll tell you the quote. The source for this quote, to be announced in a second, is Rita Mae Brown, the mystery novelist. And in her 1983 book, Sudden Death, she attributes the quote to a fictional character named Jane Fulton, who wrote, unfortunately, Susan didn't remember what Jane Fulton once said. And here's the quote, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. So I don't think it matters whether it was Rita Mae Brown, Jane Fulton, Sudden Death, or Einstein. We love the quote. So Keith, you're up. How did you find this one? And what in the world does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead, Keith. <laughs> well, you know, I, it's tough to follow Steve Jobs because, uh, you know, I mean, that's so relevant to all of our lives today. It's it's uh, amazing. But, you know, I, I just, when I think about this, um, and this is going to be a bit of a stretch, but it's it's to me all about making engineering cool again. Um and the way we can make engineering cool again is to begin to do some amazing things um, in product development. And, um, you know, and, and that doesn't mean, you know, continue to, to repeat, um, let's throw more money at a project, let's, let's buy more systems. Because I, I think Stan had brought this up, you know, it's not about the technologies that are out there. We've got an abundance of technologies. Um, there's no doubt about that. It's really about, and, and I think Joe alluded to this, and I like to say this as well, and connecting the dots. And, and we connect the dots in these fibers that we call part of the digital thread. And why do we do that? Well, we do that because it, it creates visibility of information. And that information that's visible to, to organizations that are downstream in a process or upstream in a process now have the ability to make better decisions. Um, so they have real-time data to make better decisions. So, so really, it's, it's not so much about doing the same things again. That's not, and I, and I hate to even go to here, but, you know, that's part of what this partnership with Siemens is about. It's, it's about doing something different, offering our customers uh, an opportunity to really do something radically different in a collaboration like this to really change the game again for their businesses today and, and really drive some, 
I'd love to say revolutionary product development cycle times. Um, we know how long complex products take, whether it's a propulsion engine or, or simple products, but we think um, that we're going to dramatically reduce the time to market in many of these products um, and in these customers we deal with today by using some of this, these, these new creative ideas and doing something different. Keith, if we look at through the lens of COVID-19, which we haven't mentioned yet on the show, we try not to, we're not going to get into the politics or the philosophy or the practicalities of, of solving this pandemic the world is in, especially the U.S. right now. If you look through those, that lens, the need to bring whatever it is to market faster is so important. And on many of my other shows, we talk about the fact that companies that had the foresight or the vision or the, the, the mission to digitalize. I love that extra allies in that word. I know there's, it used to be digitized. No, it's digitalized. Much more important word. It has much more weight when you say it. And, and if you're lucky, if you get all the syllables in, right, Stan? So when you digitalize before the pandemic, who knew that those companies would be more agile, would be able to say, maybe we can turn our manufacturing into something else. Maybe we can repurpose our factory. Maybe we can recommission ourselves and our people to work remotely and to get our, yeah. our lines running up again. And the fact that they had that, we need to do this now. Why do you need to do I don't know. Maybe something's coming and we need to do it now. So that ability yeah. and through the lens of what you're saying about PLM, Keith, being able to do things faster, now is the time. You don't yeah. have as much time, right? You know, absolutely right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use something that I know that, that Joe and Stan can relate to because um, they've been around as long as I have. And that is this, this, this holy grail that we call design anywhere, build anywhere. It's often referred to as DABA, D-A-B-A, -A, right? So the companies who equipped themselves to design anywhere and build anywhere were the ones that were completely ready with their supply chains stood up to be able to move product into factories where, where resources were available uh, to be able to move engineers or move the work to where engineers were available to do the work where they, where they could collaborate and get a product into the factories and into the market. Absolutely right. Great, great point. Thank you. I try to make a great point at least once during every show. That's it. You're done. <laughs> you're, you're, you're all so smart. I try to keep up with all of you. But I've been doing this a long time, and I've been absorbing information from thousands of panelists. So thank you for that. Now is the time of the show when we get to the formal roundtable. But I will tell our listeners the way the show is constructed and structured. We've already had such a good deep dive into my panelists' points of view about this topic and their experiences. So let's go to the formal roundtable. Stan Presbolinski has sent me the following statement. I'm going to go to number one, Stan. Uh, this encapsulates a little bit of what we've been talking about. However, you're introducing a new term. We haven't talked about the twin yet. So Stan says, the digital thread is essential to digital twin strategies and supporting a product from idea through life. Stan, why don't you take us through this? Take about two minutes, and then we'll invite Joe to agree or disagree, and then Keith, and then we'll move on to another <laughs> statement. Stan, you're up. Um, yeah, well, we talked about, uh, in the digital thread definition, we talked about silos, right? And we talked about, uh, not a detail, but one of the things that's happened in the evolution of products over the last 10, 15 years is the emergence of the importance of smart connected products in just about every industry, right? Yes, a lot of things have digital technology in them and have for some time, but not necessarily the clothes that you're wearing, right? Or, or other devices that historically may not have, been, not have been that smart. So we're inundated with data and one of the things that you um, use that data for, or can use that data for, is part of a digital twin strategy, which 
Um, I always joke that uh, everybody's talking digital twin, but they're fraternal, right? Because everybody <laughs> uses the same phrase, <laughs> like but they mean something totally different, right? But one of the consistent things about the digital twin, no matter who's defining it, is I look at it as, as a collaboration technique across those silos. It's a way to leverage the data that's coming off the asset and teach someone in some other domain about the behavior of the product or some issue about the product. Uh, you talked, uh, Bonnie, I think you mentioned about um, using that digital thread. Uh, I've been doing some work lately in the medical device industry and the medical device industry basically has to be able to tra traverse the digital thread backwards when something happens with a medical device out in the field, they have to be able to say, okay, where does that problem come from? Does it come from the way the product was used? Does it come from the way the product was installed? If it's a, if it's a big you know, MRI machine or something. Does it come from the manufacturing? Does it come from the design? Did it come from the original requirements? So they need that digital thread to traverse it backwards to problem solve, to identify what happened that went wrong out in the field. And I, I personally see that as a really important model for other industries to look at, to, to think about how you're going to be able to provide that data to be able to problem solve backwards. And, and we've been working lately with some med device companies that actually have realized that another phrase that is out there associated with this is model-based systems engineering. And it deals with defining the products as a series of models with formal requirements. And the medvice people are like, hey, that's exactly what we need. Because traversing the digital thread used to mean, oh, well, let's Stan design that. Let's go back and talk to Stan. Right? That's, that's not sustainable. It's not scalable. And uh, it's the technologies and the approaches that we're trying to highlight in the show that are going to be able to make uh, companies from a variety of industries be able to have that same uh, level of information and ability to problem solve through the life cycle. Thank you, Stan. What you're talking about reminds me a little bit, I, what comes to mind is the concept of blockchain, which is the provenance of something. Who caught the fish and, and who put it on the, on the dish and who, who uh, filleted the fish and, and where did they sell it and who put it in a refrigerated truck and how did it get to market? But this is much more dynamic because there's a lot more going on. It's, it's not wine. It's not, well, it could be a diamond. It's not wine. It, it could be anything, but it's products and assets. So it's a much more robust and it looks like it's looking ahead and backwards not just who touched it, but what went into their affiliation with that. I'm, I'm just waxing a little philosophical sure. here. Joe Bowman, join us. Thoughts about, I'm just going to come out and say it, agree or disagree with what Stan Presbolinski said. Joe, you're up. What do you think? Uh, you know, 100% agree. And just to expand on that and, and then this comment about, you know, the digital twin, digital thread, I think that that's really a pretty, you know, two really important words to uh, think about and the digital twin. And I like what you said, where you said, you know, maybe they're fraternal and, you know, in, in a real simple way, the way I kind of think about uh, some of these aspects here is like with digital twin and you mentioned fraternal digital twins. And if you think about in PLM, we've been incredibly focused on the digital twin for, in let's say broadly engineering. And then if you look at uh, SAP and ERP, digital twin of business. So you have these two fraternal digital twins. And then to me, the digital thread is all about connecting these guys together, right? And so, you know, and Stan highlighted, you know, some of those uh, aspects that are important for that, just in terms of, being, you know, as 
you know, people move forward with uh, smarter products, more connected products, you know, these, these digital twins, you know, these representations of a product as it goes through an enterprise, right? You know, all these different domains that we talked about, all these different silos. I think, you know, in PLM, we've brought together a lot of the silos. I think in ERP, SAP has brought together a lot of these silos. And now we're just talking about taking all of this, putting it together uh, with the digital thread. And so, and then, you know, Stan uh, mentioned about uh, the MBSE. I think that that's a really um, interesting topic as well, because I think, you know, what that really speaks to is, um, you know, if you look at products today, they're getting more complicated. They're getting more and more complicated. Um, and I think one of the major drivers for that, uh, for example, would be software. You know, everything's getting smarter. My wash machine is smarter. You know, I, I put my clothes in the wash machine and it's, it's measuring the, the, the load size and it, it has to be energy efficient because we've got global warming and we have to have a smarter product that uses less energy. But to build that smarter product, you have to put systems together. You have to work across a lot of different domains to make that happen. And so, you know, when we talk about these fraternal digital twins and digital thread, it's really about grappling with that complexity and turning that complexity <clears throat> that every enterprise that makes something is having to go through, turn that into a competitive advantage. So 100% agree with what uh, Stan was saying there. Thank you. And let's get Keith Zobot to join us. Keith, what do you think? Agree or disagree with, well, you're, if you agree with Joe, you agree with Stan, but let's yeah. see what, what flavor you can bring into your point of view. Go ahead, Keith. Yeah, exactly. No, I think they raised some really good points. Um, you know, when I think about this notion of the digital twin, um, you know, I think about assumptions. And I think we all know the early engineering term about what, what we talk, when we, when we assume something, what that really means, right? And I think the digital twin is really about knowing what that, how that asset that's been designed and developed and deployed is being used today. Um, so the ability to have that asset communicate back to a design organization about maybe how I feel, you know, in terms of I'm hot, I'm shaking too much. Um, maybe my software is, isn't working right. To, to be able to communicate that information back is incredibly valuable. But not only the, the, the engineering assumptions, but also the product and functional assumptions. For example, and, and, jo, and Joe talked about this, the, you know, my washing machine too, it's great. It's a GE, by the way. Um, it's got mm -hmm. all kinds of cool sensors on it and everything. But there's also some functions in there and features in there. I'm wondering, who uses this? <laughs> and so, and, 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 and because of that, you know, it complicates the user experience. And so, so a part of this that, that we're really focused on as well is when you put a product like that out in the field, getting some insights back into the organization that said, hey, you know what, this stuff, it was a bright idea at the time. We thought it was, there was a market out there for it, but it's serving no value. It's made the product more expensive and it's, it's just not, not working the way we thought. So that's just another dimension of, of, uh, that I'd like to share on top of what uh, Stan and Joe shared. Thank you very much. That was a wonderful reality check. And I remember back <laughs> in the late 70s, uh, my, my mother-in-law helped us buy a, a really upscale washer and dryer. I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts as a young married. <laughs> and I had this thing with so many, and this is way before we had the word smart and way before, <laughs> way before we knew about IoT and data sensors. And it had all these cycles. And I ended up with just the, the 
the wash and wear cycle, the regular cotton cycle, and the, maybe it has some polyester in it cycle. Yes. And I said, that's it. I had this one or this one. I looked at all these choices. I said, what the blank? What am I? So now when I bought this house in Durham two and a half years ago, they had a not fairly, not new, not smart washer and dryer, and they're just fine. And I don't have to, I set it on a, a heavy load, a medium load or a light load. And I set the timer on the dryer and that's good enough. It's just, it's <laughs> Isn't just that me. the truth? Right? I'm not washing for a family of 12. It's just <laughs> me, you know? So anyway, thank you. Thank you for that. Let's move on, Joe. I'm looking at statement number one. This is very interesting. You say companies are facing challenges around product and production schedules and costs. Chief engineers face challenges across the life cycle. Another example is the hidden cost for many enterprises to manage change. That's a pack statement. Why don't you take about two minutes and unpack it? I'd love to talk about the scheduling and the cost aspects, Joe. I think that will resonate with our listeners. So Joe Bowman, you're up. Talk to me. Yeah. Hey, hey, thanks. Yeah. And so really, uh, you know, I made this statement. I wanted to, you know, we've been talking about digital twin and digital thread. And uh, I wanted to kind of highlight that through the lens of, of an example. And I think, you know, if you're a chief engineer, you worry about three things. You worry about cost, weight, and schedule. So let's take a deep dive down into cost. So you're worried, how, how much is my product going to cost? How, how do you answer that question? Where, where do you go to find that? And that's a really, that's maybe harder than it looks. Because first of all, to understand the cost, you kind of have to know from an engineering perspective, you know, what's the, what's the bill of material? What's the component list? What is it that's going to be in my product? But now then you have to start looking and say, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to make all this myself. Probably I'm going to purchase a lot of that. Like in our washing machine, you know, uh, the, the, the vendor isn't going to build all those parts. You're going to buy some of those parts. So if I'm sitting there as a chief engineer and I'm trying to understand, you know, am I going to be over there, you know, with a $800 washing machine or a $1,000 washing machine, I need to understand what parts do I have in my washing machine? But then I have to understand what's my supply chain? Where am I going to get those parts? How much are they going to, how much are they going to cost? And guess what? That is changing every day. Every day that is changing as you're designing that new uh, washing machine. And so when we really talk about the digital twin and the digital thread, it's really about having representations of things like a bill of material, things about uh, supply chain. But not only having those representations, having those representations in your PLM system and having those representations in your uh, ERP system, but having those systems talk together, digital thread, so that that chief engineer can sit there and come in on Monday morning and say, my washing machine is going to be $850 and I'm going to beat my competition. Interesting. Thank you. Let's go around the table. Keith, you're sitting virtually around the virtual table, virtually next to Joe Bowman. That's a lot of virtuals. Keith, join us. What do you think about what he said? Join me. Well, first of all, I, I love the fact that we're focused on washing machines. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that, that I, you know, because I mean, no, seriously, because <clears throat> when, when people talk about the digital twin and the digital thread, in many ways, their minds go to very complex products, right? That, mm -hmm. oh, these concepts, they're only appropriate for those kinds of products, right? But the reality is mm -hmm. this is a very scalable concept and we, we should always remember that whether it's an appliance, whether it's whatever, yeah, a, a, a yard tool. Um, it's very a very scalable concept. But the, first of all, it, absolutely, Joe, Joe hit the nail. I, I do agree, I guess, first of all <laughs> with him, but I'm gonna add a, another dimension to this as well. And that is the notion of quality. Um, by, by having an interconnected environment, in, interconnected uh, set of uh, applications with to, to manage cost, quality, and schedule, 
and do those trade-offs real-time is incredibly powerful for a company today. Uh, and again, I, I think that's part of the notion around what was part of this partnership, the, the, the incentiviz incentivization of this partnership. And that is these chief engineers now can ask questions in one room about cost, quality, and schedule. What if we do this? What if we do that? What if we make this or buy this part? What is the effect on the quality of the product? What is the effect on the cycle time of the product? And obviously the cost. And to be able to make those trade-offs interchangeably real-time is, again, a game changer for, uh, we think, you know, many customers in many industries globally. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think Joe's spot on there, and, uh, but, I, but I, I think quality is an often overlooked dimension of the benefits of this, of this robust digital thread. Thank you. Wow, what a great conversation. And we've got the reality check king here, Keith Zobot. You've been elected. You've been a Bionita crown for you. Stan Presvalinsky, join us. What are you thinking? You don't have to talk about just washing machines, but you're welcome to if you want. Go ahead, um, Stan. <laughs> well, as I said, when back in the 80s when I was at Carnegie Mellon and we were trying to figure out how uh, – to get technology to diffuse faster. We also had a technology development mission, but I saw a lot of people working on their pet projects. And I, I came to refer to that as inferred needs, right? Oh, I know what you need and I'm going to develop something to give it to you. And that's the way a lot of these features get into products. Uh, the thing that excites me most about the era we're in now is it used to be that as product developers, for many products, you would get almost no feedback on the use of the product, other you might have some warranty claims or some returns, unless you took proactive steps like doing you know, market, market research or, or things like that. Now you're gonna know exactly how your customers are using their product. They're gonna know that Bonnie, you never pushed those six buttons that were on that washing machine. <laughs> you only used three of them. So maybe they take, take three of those buttons off the next time, right? So there's going to be unprecedented knowledge about product usage um, that can be leveraged to improve just about everything, right? It can be leveraged, obviously, to improve design, but uh, that improvement possibility spans the life cycle. So, um, no, I, I wash machines to me, I, smart connected. You know, the other problem that we have, though, in this technology area is that people do things because they can, not because they should. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, we'll get to the point where they're doing things that they should because they've learned from the practical experiences of the products that are out there already. Thank you very much. And I'm looking at the clock, and I want to see if we can squeeze in one more statement. Thank you very much, everybody. Great topic, Joe. Keith, I'm looking at statement number one, and I, I dubbed him the reality check king, and here comes the, <laughs> here comes the zinger. He said the following, everybody put your, just hold yourself into your chair. He says, many PLM projects fail to reach their initial objectives or completely fall apart. Many people have asked, why is PLM so hard? I'm going to let you take that and run with it. Let's keep it tight. And we might skip the predictions at the end because this is a, an interesting topic. So once you take about two minutes a piece, Keith, you get two and a half because it's your topic. So go ahead, Keith. Ooh, lucky me. I love yes, being part of reality <laughs> and not virtual. Actually, <laughs> you know, I mean, not to say that I was part of projects that failed, but yes, <laughs> I mean, the reality is, I mean, you know, PLM, product lifecycle management, it's a team sport. 
you know, and if and if you don't have the right sponsorship at your companies today, um, whether you have the CTO or your your chief procurement officer, you know, going, I'm behind this 100%. You know, we can do this. The reality is everybody has to have the same types of objectives to achieve these things like cycle time reduction, like mm -hmm. warranty reduction. You know, these are very cross-functional in nature. And so it, it really takes a common uh, set of goals and objectives and, and leadership to, to drive these things from the very top. Um, and often what we found, and I think Joe could probably relate to this, I know Stan can as well, is that these, these types of initiatives come from a singular function. Oftentimes it's from engineering to say, man, we, we really need to clean up our process for designing turbine blades or gear design. And we can focus on taking cycle time out of that. And look at this, we've shrunk that cycle time down from you know, six weeks down to two weeks because we've used all this cool technology. And then it goes to the supply chain. And the cycle time hasn't really changed at all on this overall product. Why is that? Because the notion of shrinking cycle time down on a complete product development process is that the critical path is dynamic. And so even though one function may relentlessly focus on reducing its cycle time, maybe the overall time really didn't change. So again, it's important to look at this cross-functional nature of any type of project you have. And oftentimes projects are justified because of the benefits within a, within a particular function, but those often are not achieved and the actual benefits are downstream. So again, the investment may be occurring, let's say in the R&D or engineering function, little extra work that needs to be done there, but, but the supply chain's reaping the benefits because now I have all the information to go do some competitive bidding, to go do get the right qualified parts from a for particular suppliers or from a different country that doesn't have a bunch of tariffs in place. So the ability to again, to look at this thing holistically and make those trade-offs um, is is really the important part of this. And again, it's really about making sure that the organization is completely on the same page and achieving these goals. Thank you very much. Let's move quickly around the table. Let's get uh, Stan. Stan in here. Come on. What do you think? Yeah, well, if you recall, one of the reasons I said that I was interested in getting into this is exactly what Keith just said, that it is mm -hmm. a cross-functional thing, that you have to deal with these different power bases. I, I used to joke, I spent seven years at... Um, one of uh, Siemens competitors. And I used to joke that the P and PLM was not product. It was politics ah, <laughs> because there is a lot well of organizational yes. politics and ah. different issues than different functions. And that's, you know, at SimData, when we do consulting with industrial organizations looking to adopt these technologies and processes, we always try to tie it to a higher level strategic objective, right? When, and you've heard some of them like quality or time to market or things like that. With the move toward digital transformation, Industry 4.0, we might have finally gotten a topic that raises high enough in the organization to be able to make meaningful change, right? Because now we have something that's a C-level topic that can be explained. And you might not necessarily have to explain the turbine blade cycle time to get the funding as you did before, right? You can talk about the higher level objectives and then instantiate those things in the different functions as they need be. Thank you, Stan. Great insights. Joe, I have time for you to comment on this. Go ahead, Joe Bowman. Yeah, you know, um, let me just say agree and agree. And, you know, I just really like the fact that we're ending this on people because I, I, I think really, you know, at the end of the day, 
the digital enterprise is a set of people that are working together to achieve a goal. And, you know, obviously I'm involved in a lot of PLM implementations. You know, I do this all day, every day. And, you know, what I observe uh, among customers, the customers that uh, are successful are the ones that have a plan for the organizational change that comes around from a PLM implementation. And there are a lot of stakeholders. I mean, this is about connecting dots. You know, we talked about the silos and the connecting the dots. And sometimes the silos don't want to be connected, right? And so you, you really have to get an overall push that people want to work together and see the benefits. And I think both uh, Keith and Stan talked about, you know, sometimes you do things and everybody's looking for, you know, I think people all have this concept of something that's locally optimal, but maybe not globally suboptimal, right? And so what you're looking for in a PLM implementation, ERP implementation, is you're trying to make that whole digital enterprise more efficient. And you're doing that by connecting the dots. And so really to be successful, you have to have everybody on board with that's really what you're trying to do. And then people in different silo, the P for politics that Stan talked about, you know, in an enterprise, not all the time, everybody gets along. And so you really have to have that organizational groundwork laid that everybody's pulling in the same direction. So I think it's really great. You know, we're, we're talking here about industry 4.0, digital thread, digital twin, but really people at the end of the day, you know, people have to work together to make this happen. You mean sometimes people don't get along? Joe, <laughs> you just burst my bubble. Thank you very much. We have time. If you can all do it, we have time for a one-sentence prediction on PLM. I think we can do it. I'm going to put the pressure on all of you because I've got to close the show. But Stan Presbolinski, you're up first. I'm going to keep it on gallery view so we can all see each other and I can see all of you. So go ahead, Stan. One sentence on PLM. Um, manufacturing companies seeking to digitally transform will struggle if they don't have a strong PLM strategy and implementation underpinning it. Thank you very much. Joe Bowman, what do you think? What's your prediction? My prediction on PLM is this concept of the digital thread uh, between PLM and ERP is going to become a game changer. Okay, we're doing it. Keith! <laughs> One oh boy, it's yeah, t tough to follow that. No uh, I'm going to say mass customization is here. Oh, okay. All right. It's here and give me, give me a future statement. It's here and? It's here and, and it's part of uh, honestly what uh, this collaboration is all about. Thank you very much. I can't tell the three of you how much I've enjoyed speaking with you. The camaraderie was clear. You're all so smart on this topic. <laughs> it's been such a joy. Not just a privilege, but a joy speaking with all of you. So I want to also do a shout out again to Diane Pickett. Diane, every panel should be like this one. They're fabulous. Uh, thank you for behind the scenes, helping set up the show. Richard House for sponsoring the series and having the insight and the foresight to say we need a series on Industry 4.0. Yes, yes, yes. Shout out to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel for getting us on the air and keeping us there. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. My car is still getting three months to the gallon. I don't know about yours. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Stan Presbolinski. I'll never forget your last name. Stan Presbolinski at CIM Data. Just like Joe Bowman at Siemens Digital Industry Software. And just like Keith Zobot at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Be well, be safe, be smart, be savvy. And if appropriate, protect yourself. We'll just leave it at that. Mask on. Everybody have a great day. Wave goodbye. <laughs>
Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.